gentlemen, to Season 4, Episode 8 of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Mitch Bosworth, joined alongside, well, you guessed it, Mr. Christian Brewer. Christian, happy Monday to you. The sun is shining, the snow is melting. How we feeling? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling real good. Start another week. Uh, just going to keep plugging, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Semester's kind of about the halfway point now. No spring break, which is kind of weird, but hey, you know, you just got to roll with the punches at this point, right? Yes, sir. Yes, All right. sir. All right. So, first thing out of the gate, let's talk about, we keep on this, NL, this MLB preview. We knocked out all the American leagues. We talked to NL Beast last week. Let's talk some NL Central, shall we? Sounds good, man. All right. So, let's start first with the winners of the offseason division, in my opinion, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes. Uh, made, couple, made one big splash. Right now, their lineup looks as follows. <clears throat> Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung. Probably said that right. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, the newest addition, Nolan Arenado, uh, Dylan Carson, Yadier Molina, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader. And the pitching staff right now looks like Jack Flaherty, Quang Young Kim, Adam Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, and Miles Mikolas. Where do you put the Cardinals in ranking in the NL Central right now? I think they're number one. I really do. I think that especially with what's going on in the division around them, um, Pittsburgh fell off. Um, uh, Cincinnati wasn't a good spot. Then Bauer left, so I don't really know where they're at. But um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'd put I'd slot them in number one. I think the Aaron Allen trade came out of nowhere and it's huge. So uh, I look forward to seeing how they are able to assemble all those pieces and put them together. Yeah, for me, I've um, the four and five Arnell and Goldschmidt, not just with the bat, but also with their gloves, their mm-hmm. gold. Glove caliber, I think Arnell's won like what six straight at third base or five yeah, straight at one point. Like Someone's insane amount, especially now with Dylan Carson the five hole. You're probably the best all around catcher in the game of the past about fifteen years, in my opinion, in Yadi or Molina. Uh, not only that, I think they have the best starting pitcher in the, in the division too, in Jack Flaherty. Yes, obviously, uh, Adam, Adam Wainwright feels feels like he's been in the league now the past about twenty five years. Uh, Carlos Martinez is a guy who's just had some injury issues, but when he's healthy, he can touch 100 with his fastball. Nicholas has been solid, and uh, I think top to bottom, I think St. Louis is the most well-rounded team in this division. And to me, they're the they're, they win the division. I think if they get the right if they get the right spot somehow in the playoffs, things go right. We can talk about them being the NLCS. I don't think they come out of the National League. I think the depth with the rotation isn't quite there. But hey, you know if they catch fire, they've They've won more with less, mm-hmm. historically. So I'm excited to see what St. Louis does to meet their A-tier team. They're a team that, you know, they're, they're the heavy favorites to win their division by, I think, about four or five games. Bullpen, again, we'll see. But I think St. Louis out of the gate is a front runner. Um, but the two through four, I feel, gets murky. Um, yes. We'll talk first. Uh, St. Louis' biggest rival in the game, rivalry game. I want to see it both stadiums before I leave this earth. Let's talk about the Chicago Cubs. Fly the W here. Obviously, the Cubs are kind of on the edge of really hitting a reset switch here. I think probably the last big push. Right now, we're looking at a lineup of Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Jack Peterson, a big addition for them Mm -hmm. to replace Kyle Schwarber and left. Uh, Javier Baez, Jason Hayward, Nico Horner. The rotation, this is what scares me with this team. Cal Hendricks, Jake Arrieta back for one last round with the Cubs, Zach Davies, Alec Mills, and then either Trevor Williams or Adbert Alzale. Uh, what's your outlook on the Cubs? You know, listening to you go through that lineup, it's really tempting to, to put them on par with St. Louis, but like you said, the pitching is just not what it should be, and I don't think it's – I think that'll be the reason why they don't contend. And also um, – you're looking at guys like Bryant to put it together after a, a tough year last year. So, um, again, they're they're in the top half of this division. Uh, they could fight for a wild card spot, but um, that pitching man, they gotta get it figured out. Yeah, to me, when I look at this roster, at least the lineup's most talented. But as Herb Brooks put it, and we'll talk about that much later on the show, um, you can't win on talent alone. I think they have the right manager to pull the strings and get the best out of them, but. This is kind of, I feel, this core's last really big shot of trying to do something special. And the way the NL set, even their own division, they got some odds stacked against them. Because I like Kyle Hendricks. Arietta, I hope he has a good year. I think Trevor Williams and Zach Davies could have some solid seasons. But there's not one guy in that rotation that I feel is just like, 
okay, bona fide game one. We need a win. We need something to go seven innings solid. Like, Kendricks could be the guy, but other than that, it's yet to be seen. So I think the Cubs right now, they're in a really tough spot. It's do or die, and I don't think the pitching is there for it, unfortunately. So let's keep going in the division. Uh, let's talk about a team last year I thought was going to make some noise. Went in the playoffs and couldn't score a run when it mattered the most in a 13-inning battle. Yep. The Cincinnati Reds. Obviously, they lost Trevor Bauer. But look at this roster. I mean, the lineup of Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, Mike Moustakis, Nick Senzel, Cal Farmer, Tucker Barnhart. You can't scoff at that. Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, the top one-two. Still really good one-two combo. Got Tommy Mayle, or Tom Mayle. Sorry if I say that wrong. I'm not the best. Again, small-town guy. Not very diverse. When it comes to different-sounding last names, I'm still trying to learn here. Uh, Wade Marley and Michael Lorenzen. I mentioned this, too, a couple times. Their bullpen let them down. Like This team reminds yeah. me a lot of what the Tigers were back in 2013. Great lineup, two, three really good starting pitchers, but a bullpen at the end of the day is just kind of like Bobby Fischer. Like, you can't find him right now. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your outlook on the Reds? You know, that lineup is another one that's that's got all the pieces to contend, but like you said, the bullpen, I think, uh, is it Ray Iglesias? Was he the closer? Yeah, and he's gone out of my opinion. Yeah, pick. okay, that's what I thought. I thought he was gone. Um, yeah, so they need to figure out a closer. Uh, then I think they've got a couple of options in place. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I always flash back to that series against Detroit to begin the year last year just because I think that's the perfect example of what the, this team could have been. You know, they come out and they roll them on opening day. And then in the next two games, they hold late leads and the Tigers come back and win the game against the bullpen. Uh, and if you're going to let a team like Detroit come back against your bullpen, heaven only knows what's going to happen when you play a contender so. Again, they're right, their lineup's right up there with the best of them, but at the end of the day, it's going to be on the pitching. Absolutely agree. This is a team I feel that, you know, if things go right and, you know, something's kind of fire right, if somehow their bullpen gets fixed, their team I could feel could be a wild card contender. But until I see that bullpen get better, I don't see them being, being a playoff team, which is unfortunate with this lineup they have assembled. Like Castellanos just rips doubles. Winker's a guy I think is ceiling he could hit about 330, get on base about 380, 390. You know, Joey Votto. Probably the best player in baseball right now to not win a World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear Suarez, he's hit close to 50 home runs before. Mike Moustakis, World Series champion, can hit about 35, 40 home runs. Sanzel, a lot of hype with him coming out as a prospect. He's a guy people can see slashing 280, 25, and 80. Uh, and Tucker Barnhart's a gold glove caliber catcher who can also hit about 260, 15, and 60. So the lineup is there, but... You know, you have the Cyan caliber pitcher, I feel, in Sonny Gray. Luis Castile, only he'll only get better over time. But again, the bullpen is what scares me. But there's one other team in the division who made a big addition here uh, this past weekend who I think does have the bullpen, probably the best closer maybe in baseball. A team that, if their starters can get going, this is a team that can come out of nowhere and really give St. Louis a run for them, might even take the Central. And our editor-in-chief, Isaac Ritchie, is going to like the fact that I said this about this team. It's the Milwaukee Brewers. Like, right in this lineup, Colton Wong, Lorenzo Kane, Christian Yelich, a former MVP, Keston Hira, Travis Shaw, the addition of Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield now, uh, Orlando Arcia, and Omar Navarez. That lineup is good. I won't call it great yet, but it's good. And you mentioned the rotation of Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Josh Lindbaum, Adrian Hauser, and then either Brett Anderson or Eric Lauer. What's your outlook on Milwaukee? Uh, you know, a couple years back to go to the NLCS, um, you know, and then they start getting mentioned in World Series conversations preseason. Just haven't really been able to put it together since then. I agree with your take on the uh, Bradley Jr. edition. I think that's huge. And um, another guy that just – I feel like his potential, they really – like, yeah, he's, he's a good player in Boston, but, like, they didn't really tap into it. I think that this dude is potential some big things. So um, they're going to be pretty competitive. Um, I the, the the closer there, I'm blanking on his – Hater, Hater. Josh Hater, Yeah, the hard-throwing lefty. I knew he was a hard-throwing lefty with hair, and I just for some reason forgot his name. But, yeah, he's a beast. Uh, you can take games into the eighth inning, and then you uh, – if Milwaukee's on top, you usually know – that uh, you can mark that one up in front of the Bre- or in favor of the Brewers. So, 
It's going to be tight, man. The two through four, like you said, it gets murky. They all have their ups. They all have their downs. So it be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, for me, the player to watch in this division is Corbin Burns. 60-game schedule last year, the dude went absolutely bananas. He wound up being a really good number two starter for them. In fact, just give me a minute here while I ramble. I can pull up his numbers for you exactly because he was a big part of my championship fantasy baseball team. Humble brag there. Uh, I do have 4-1 record. 2.11 ERA, walk uh, whip of 1.02 and 88 strikeouts. Uh, if he can somehow find a little more, cons- if he can find that consistency, obviously he's not going to throw have a 2.11 ERA for 100, 162 game schedule. But if he can get about about 3.7, 3.5 somewhere in there, him behind Woodruff, that'd be a really good one-two punch for them. If Adrian Hauser can take the steps, they feel he can. They add one more solid starter, maybe. Maybe because off to a good start, maybe they can add Matthew Boyd at the deadline, get a lefty in there. Mm-hmm. You never know. But you know, I think this I think Milwaukee, I think, has a high ceiling. I really think they do. Uh especially now the outfield with Lorenzo Kane, who's won I believe a gold glove in the past, World Series champion, and Jackie Bradley Jr., again, a World Series champion. Probably one of the best defensive outfielders in the league. Whose bat isn't as good as his glove, but his glove is that good. Yes. And you still have a former MVP in Christian Yelich. You have a young man, Keston Hira, whose bat is only going to get better. Uh, Harvey Travis Shaw can bounce back. Really rough couple years for him. Orlando Arcia is a guy that excites me. Omar Navarez is a really good but not great catcher. I think he's right in that B tier, C tier, somewhere in there. But, you know, the Brewers, I think, are a team that can really push for second. I really think so. I think they can push for a wild card spot. But now we got to talk to, you mentioned two through four or murky, right? Let's talk about team number five. Oh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, man. How fun was the cheer for them about six, seven years ago? Oh, they were really good. They were unbelievable. So what the hell happened? (laughs) Like, my goodness. It's so confusing, man. It's just like... But at the end of the day, like, that's where you got to point to a team like the Rays where, you know, small market squad, there's a way to do it right and a way to do it wrong. And... You know, Tampa, I guess, has kind of figured it out, and Pittsburgh thought they could hold on to those guys a little bit longer than they could, and they tried to trade them away and just didn't get the pieces back. So, man, not to mention they got fleeced by the Rays. Yeah, that Chris Archer deal is still haunting them to this day, I feel. But, you know, kind of a total, total teardown. Obviously, starting Marte, gone. Jameson Tain, gone. Trevor Williams, gone. A lot of good pieces gone. Right now they're dealing with Adam Frazier, K. Bryan, Hayes, make sure my pairing is awful. Uh, Colin Moran, Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, Anthony Alford, Jacob Stallings, and Kevin Newman. Uh, if you were, if you didn't know about four or five of those guys in the lineup, it's okay. I'm still trying to learn these names too. Uh, the pitching rotation right now is Stephen Brault, uh, Chad Cool, Tyler Anderson, Mitch Kelly, who I'm excited to see, and some other guys who I rushed to writing these names down. Looks like Jonathan. Brew Breaker and Will Crow. Again, my hearing is awful, folks. I am sorry about this. Uh, the Pirates, obviously, we feel five spot for them. We're in the top five they're going to draft next year. I didn't like to pick one again. Probably. I feel sorry for Pittsburgh fans. I really do. This is just, man. This is where cheap ownership that's not ran right. This is this example of what happens. Yeah. It really does. Because about 2012, 2013, I think you remember that moment when, like, they were chanting Quiro's name at PNC Park. He dropped the ball in the pitch. They cheered. Next pitch, yeah, Quiro throws. Russell Martin homers it over left field wall. To my knowledge, like, you know, PNC Park's a real cool place to go watch a ball game. It's not a bad seat. Yeah. But it's kind of like Detroit's been the past couple of years. you got to go when somebody's good playing to just enjoy a good game. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. It really is. So, I mean... Is Pittsburgh going to reach the 70-game mark for wins? I don't think so. It's unfortunate. It stinks. But that was all right. So let's, t- let's go right through now, one through five. How's this division shaking out? Okay, St. Louis one, uh, Milwaukee two, Chicago three, Cincinnati four, Pittsburgh five. Give me St. Louis one, Milwaukee two, Cincy three, Chicago four. And then Pittsburgh 5. We agree 1, we agree on 5, 2 and 4. Obviously, we agree. That's murky, but... All right. That was our NL Central preview. Let's now move on to uh, our corner. So, 
For Mitch's Corner this week, I need to have a little PSA to the wonderful people, our wonderful listeners, those who listen to us on a weekly basis. Thank you. Thank you so much. The support means a lot. But I need to talk here for a second. This is going to drop on a Wednesday or Thursday because obviously last week got shuffled because of soundcheck. Great, great, great podcast there. Obviously a little lengthy episode. I had to do some reshuffling. Ben Ackley, our podcast director, mm-hmm. great job with him to manage that. Uh, and this needs to go out to everyone who's going to watch the NCAA tournament. I need to remind you right now, the kids playing this tournament are between 18 and 23 years old. They are going to miss shots. Your bracket will be busted. They will make mistakes. There is no excuse for you to go to be a Twitter warrior and say how bad these kids suck or send death threats. Just remember, these kids are 18 and 22 years old, are most are on scholarship, getting a college degree, and are playing a game they love. There is absolutely no reason for you to be a Twitter warrior to seem almighty cool your thumb saying how bad this kid sucks or sending death threats. Yeah. Don't do it. Just enjoy the tournament because we realized after last year, this is not a given in a year. Mm-hmm. It's not a given. It can be taken away so fast. Just sit back and enjoy this. Okay? It's just... It's going to be about three weekends worth of just absolute fun, absolute chaos and madness like it always is. Just just keep in mind that these are still kids playing a the game. There's more to life than this. Okay? Yeah. Just please just remember that. Okay? These are kids playing a game. I'm going to say it again. Kids playing a game. There's no reason for you to break furniture and bust $2,000 TVs just because of a buzzer beater. Some kid just misses a switch on defense or something, okay? Mm-hmm. They're doing something that a lot of these fans couldn't even sniff at doing. Just remember that. At the end of the day, these are games, all right? Life moves on. You sit and watch a two-hour game. You sit and watch a day of March Madness. You turn up the TV, go to bed, and life moves on, Okay? It's not the end of the world if your team gets upset. If you lose money on a bet, just remember, please. I'm going to say this one more time, and I'm being serious about this. This is this tournament is games being played by 18 to 22 year olds. Do not forget that, please. It's been Mitch's corner. Christian, you have the floor, buddy. Oh, I'll stay on that topic, <clears throat> and um, I'll stay on the, the March Madness topic. I'll talk about. What happened in the Wisconsin Iowa game last night or yesterday afternoon? Um, it took 19 minutes and 10 seconds to play the final minute of that game. <laughs> I know, I get it. You want to make the right call, but I mean, come on, people. The, you know, I don't even, I don't really even know how to put this into words because I don't want to. But at the end of the day, man, it's not about the refs. And I wish they would know that. You know what I'm saying? It feels like... And there was another game that I had seen. I believe it was Elon won a game. They were the eight seed in their tournament. And they beat the one seed because their opponent got a technical foul for yelling and one at the end of the game. So, let's just... Your, your topic is, is addressed to the fans. Mine is addressed to the referees. This isn't about you, okay? This is about... Those same exact players that you're talking about. March Madness is about the kids watching it and about the or the kids playing and the fans watching, not about the refs. So please, for the love of everything holy, let's go through this tournament. We didn't get one last year, and now that we've got one this year, let's not make it a ref show. It's true. That's about all I got. All right. So so let's move on to quick thoughts, Christian. What do you have in line for us this week? So, we, uh, I don't think we got a chance to hit on this last week, but uh, Big Ben, cut his, uh, he put his money where his mouth is. Now, is this convincing enough for you with the way he restructured it, or were you looking to see some more? I was happy. I was happy he stuck to his word. He restructured it and shaved 15 mil off his cap. It. Like, he was not worth the 41.7 or 41.9. Obviously, obviously, they're going to have to make some cuts. Apparently, as we're talking about this on Monday, March 8th, 2021, by the time this comes out, the rumor is there's going to be a bombardment of cuts coming this week. So, obviously, we'll see what salary cap room looks like. Uh, you know, he said he said he, said he, said he won't take a pay cut. And he did that. Uh, One-year deal. Oh, that's like it could be a little adjustment. Um, you know, I know I, won't, I know I went my big massive rant and stuff and all that jazz. 
But the end of it, I just said, keep to your word. Either you said, you said, when you retire, you when sorry when Marquise Pounce retired, you retire with him because you don't want to bring another center, or you would take a pay cut. Stick to your word. What are you gonna do? He he to win one of those avenues. So yeah, I'm happy about it. Obviously, he's one of like 12 quarterbacks to win more than one Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I get it. It's a decorated career. As of right now, he is the longest. He is the one player longest. Um, I should say that's right. In NFL history, he is the longest. Like the, the he is, has the. I can't talk. Longest like, tenured. Longest tenured quarterback with one team to give his whole career. Yeah. Because obviously Brady dropped out that conversation when he went to Tampa. So yeah, I'm honestly I'm glad he's back at the pay cut. Cause look, there's obviously some guys I would love to have over Ben, but that list is a lot smaller than the guys I would I would choose Ben over. So for what's worth, you know, the way that defense is gonna be back, and the way I think they're gonna address the offensive line and running back in the draft. Hopefully, we'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. But I'm excited for Ben to be back. I'm excited that. You know, with the whole salary cap going to be crazy, they have a lot of guys locked up. Obviously, next year they're going to have a crazy amount of cap space. Do whatever they want to resign anybody. They'll have the flexibility to get T.J. Watt locked up, to get Minka Fitzpatrick locked up long term. They'll have the money to get Devin Bush locked up long term when they have to cross that bridge. Um, obviously, this year is going to be a struggle to see what Pittsburgh's going to do, and for the rest of the league as well. But Ben, one more year. Yeah, I'm excited. I really am. So now let's move on to a topic that we really haven't talked about on this show. Um, sports gambling is now legal in Michigan. Um, I, of course, am not of age to do so legally online. Uh, therefore, I have to sit this one out. But I figured it would be a good topic for this segment of the show. Mitch, your, just you know, kind of run through what your board has looked like recently and how you've done. And then maybe... If you'd like, maybe throw out a tip or two for the people. So, so here are my rules that I follow. One, I don't put on money. The most I'll throw on a bet is like two or three bucks. Because I know there's an issue with gambling. One of my stepdad's very best friends had an issue with it. I remember my stepdad won't get that bad. So I won't bet more than one or two bucks on a game. I'll go low risk, okay? Because I'm a college, broke college kid. I'm not going to lose my financial stability over a bet. That is a good way of looking at it. Because their gambling is an issue. Like in every, like in every single ad I've seen, like they have a number for like gambling help, a gambling helpline. Like I don't want to get that point. That's my rule. Two, I try my best to avoid betting on games on teams I am emotionally invested in. So very rarely do I touch the Wings. Very rarely do I touch the Pistons. Very rarely will I touch my Winnipeg Jets. Now I have bet against the Wings a couple times. Uh, one game against Chicago, and I knew that Kevin Lincoln and was gonna have a shutout. But second period, I did put like. Like I think a buck fifty on the wings not on um, the wings losing and not scoring a goal and I'm turning a pretty good profit off it. Uh, what I used to do is I used to take like sip um just be careful with parlays. Because for me, I've noticed this trend, I hit about sixty percent of what I do. Like my friends and I kept on a spreadsheet, like we follow lines and over and stuff and see how we did betting wise. So I would have done. I finished fifty nine percent against the spread this season, the NFL. Hey, go off fifty nine percent. And I was like 13, 2, and 2. Wait, I was like 12, 2, and 2 on my moral locks this year, too. I did pretty well for myself, I feel. I also try and find trends. Like, an NBA train and try to follow is find the teams that are, lo- are, lo- are on long road trips. Eventually, eventually they're going to drop a game on the road. Because, yep. like, fatigue and, you know, playing away from home is a factor. It's going to happen. Um, you just got to find who's hot and who's not. I mean, I don't, have a, I don't have a true formula down pat yet for anything. I mean, I think I've lost more $1 bets than I've won $1 bets. So there's that. But just find something that works for you and just be smart about it. It's the best advice I can give. Don't – I mean, I throw low risk. It's low reward. Yeah, I don't make a lot of money, but I don't lose a lot of money either. Yeah, no, that's a good way of looking at it, man. I know people who are pretty invested in the old sports gambling industry. So As do I. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, and then for my third, my third one, Dan Campbell spoke to the media again last week. And he made it sound like the whole organization was going to have to come to a consensus for a lot of these decisions, especially early on. 
What's your take on that? I know a lot of people are throwing a fit about Sheila Ford Hamp being in personnel meetings and things like that. What's your What's your take on the Lions' collaborative effort? I like it. Honestly, this whole regime of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and everybody they brought in, I like it. Because let's face facts. Just once again, another big blow-up of what they had. We reached this point again. However, I think the way they built it, Sheila and Cam and both Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell mentioned this point too. It was, it was, a, it was a quote that Eisenhower had because Eisenhower always kept people in war that were smarter than him. I think that's smart for Dan Campbell because look, look at every assistant they had. Like, like their their coaching staff would be a really good NFL team like two thousand and two. If you think about it hard enough, all the guys they yeah. had. Yeah, but they I'm would. Kidding. Like, because look, look, when you start, when you, you have to, when you have to start fresh, you need people who like who know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. So many former players who know the league, who've been the league, who know what it takes to find success in the league. When you're trying to have like a learning atmosphere and a good culture, you need those kind of people in the organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, she, I mean, yeah, Sheila Fordham sits in meetings. Obviously, she wants to learn too, right? She wants to know what's going on. Yes. Now, have William Clay Ford and Martha Ford? Do you, do you think they? Do you think they actually, honestly, really sat in meetings and cared about what happened? Not at all, man. Not at all. Yeah, she loves. Yeah, Sheila Hamp sits in meetings. Okay, she cares to know what the hell's going on with the organization. Why are people upset about that? Why are people upset about ownership finally caring about the team? Because we haven't seen it in yeah, about seriously. fifty years. Why are you upset about it? You have an owner that cares. You should be appreciative of that. Finally, you have ownership and. Management that actually gives a flying fuck about the organization. For crying out loud. You have Brad Holmes who's drafted well. Who's done really good at finding picks for the past six years with the Rams. Who hasn't had a lot of high picks either. You look at the track record. They brought in a lot of good guys over the years in drafts. They have a new way new way of looking at players. Dan Campbell's going to find a way to pull the best out of every player. And this coaching staff is going to develop them and get them to a point where they're going to be successful. This is a regime that I feel is really going to work. And I mentioned this before. If this doesn't work, it will never work for Detroit. Mm-hmm. But I honestly feel like they have a quarterback who has won more playoff games than Detroit has won since 19... Since basically since JFK was, you know, voted into office. No, man, and I liked it. I'm glad I picked that topic because it kind of elicited a reaction and I was kind of looking forward to it. So. It's like, yeah, just give this time. They're going to have three first round, five first round picks next two years. You have a quarterback that I feel will actually embody what Detroit is. He's a tough guy who's actually won playoff games, who's had success, who's going to be an environment that's going to build him back up. Mm-hmm. I know Anthony Lynn's going to figure out a way to use him right because Brett Holmes was a big was a big proponent in him getting him to LA in the first place. So yeah, just give this time and give this this is okay, I'm gonna say this too about Lions fans. The ones that sit in the arm, armchairs and comment on stuff on the, on the free press. You are literally insane right now. Just to just to yeah. just 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 to have this low of expectations. Cause listen, the the definition of insanity is just to make sure you get this right. Doing, doing, it's doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting, expecting the same results. results. Expecting the same results. Yes. Do we need to say anything more? Like, yeah, you have this regime that actually wants to come in and make change, and you have like the same approach you have to Patricia, or to Jim Caldwell initially, or to Jim Schwartz, or to Rob Mellonly, or Steve Mariucci, or every other coach before I can list off. Just give this just give this regime a chance for crying out loud. Let this draft go. Let one year go. Because obviously the NFC North is going to be so tough this year. Look, just give it time. Just give it time to let it play out. Don't don't jump to such a bad conclusion out of the gate that you know when you that when you actually find success, a little bit of success, you already know like they're all gonna bail. Like, no, just be crying out loud. Give this regime a chance. Please, please, for all that is holy, give this regime a chance. Yeah, well, that'll do it. Those are my three topics. Sweet. So, are you ready for the next round of the UC mock drafts? Yes, sir. I've got it pulled up right here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is now the UC mock draft version 2.0. Oh. 
So for this mock draft, we include trades. We include any scenario. Now, mind you, I'm sticking to what I know right now. Christian's doing the same thing. Number one pick, can we agree it's going to be Trevor Lawrence? Yes. Okay, end the debate right now. Pick number two, who do you have the Jets taking? Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. All right. What do you got? Well, I'll explain yours. Oh, I just think it's time for a change. I think Sam Darnold needs to go. Uh, that's in the interest of both parties. And Zach Wilson, I've heard him call the poor man's Patrick Mahomes. Really good athlete, moves well. Uh, I think he's too good for a team like the Jets to pass up on number two. So for me, I look at the Jets. I'm assuming Sam Darnold stays. And until he gets moved, I'm not changing my stance for the Jets. Until he actually get, until he's actually gets traded, I am not changing my stance on the Jets. Now, when I look at the Jets, they have a laundry list of needs, right? So I look, is it offense or defense? I don't think we see a defensive player go in the top two. So it's got to be offensive, right? Yes. When's the last time you've seen the receiver offensive weapon go number two? Was it Calvin Johnson? Probably. Yeah, I would say so. And there's probably, probably someone up there too. But the thing that made Calvin Johnson stand out so much from Georgia Tech was his size, athletic ability. There is one player in this draft class, I feel, who kind of checks those same boxes. And for me, number two, the Jets take Kyle Pitts, tight end, Florida, for those very reasons. You can make a case for the other, other three receivers. You really can. But I think we've seen what tight ends in the NFL can do now, right? Everyone, all his friends were crying and stuff. Like they took TJ Hackinson at eight, took a tight end at eight. And look at him now. He just won two Pro Bowlers on the team and really starting to come into his own this year, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen what guys like Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski have done to teams in the NFL. Even George Kittle. If you can find a really good athletic tight end, and to dimension your offense, that's a problem, right? I don't know if you've seen a tight end prospect of this caliber since maybe Kellen Winslow Jr. Yeah, look where he's at, though. Well, exactly. Well, things are he had legal issues. Yeah. Is he off the field stuff? I feel well, Pitts is a lot, you know. No, you're right. You're out. But just in talent wise, Winslow held a talent in the world, too. But for me, it's Kyle Pitts, tight end, Florida. I know it's weird seeing a tight end go, too, but. This guy's more of a wide receiver threat, more receiver threat than as a tight end. I feel he's just a kind of athletic freak. I feel that doesn't come around very often. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He's a good player. That's why mm. if you want to move on, yep, I've got him going number three to Miami. Makes sense. Um, just another. You want to surround Tua with as many weapons as you can, and uh, I see that being the move there. Yeah. So for me, number three, I have a trade. Miami trades to Carolina. It'd be eight in a package. I can't remember because, again, my laptop took a kaplooey with all my notes on it. So I remember this on the fly because I found the actual draft pick conversion chart, what the value would be. So Carolina selects Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. Here's how I feel about this quarterback class. Trevor Lawrence, I feel, could start day one. The other three was Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. I think you can make a case for them maybe not being ready day one of the NFL. Obviously, Zach Wilson, BYU. I watched tape on him recently. Holy smokes, the guy! The guy's the guy has the tool belt and skill set to be there. But if you get situation like with the Jets and whatnot, a big thing that quarterbacks need, young players need. I think fans realize is confidence. Yes. you've got to be confident. I think Carolina is a great spot for him because one, athletically and the skill set, it's a perfect fit for what Matt Rowe wants to do in Carolina. But two, he can sit for one year. Behind Teddy Bridgewater, who I think we all know has brought him for two years to be a stopgap quarterback. Yeah. And who's a better guy to learn from, I think, right now in that system than Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah. I mean, if Zach Wilson could sit one year, learn, develop, maybe week 12, 13, he comes, steps in. And if you throw him around the weapons you have with uh, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Christian McCaffrey in that offense, if you get him some tools, because they, they have the tools to put him to really find success with. Then get another weapon later in the draft to add with that. Um, I think it'd be a really good fit. I think it'd be the proper fit. So for me, Carolina trades up. Get Zach Wilson. Moving on to number four. Yes, Atlanta Falcons. Who you got, Chris? I have them taking Justin Fields, quarterback at Ohio State. Okay. I think that Fields. I think that they. I think that Fields is better than Trey Lance just because of his overall body of work. Uh, that's why I think he's going to be the more coveted pick, and I think that's why Atlanta chooses Fields over. Lance in this scenario. So, let me go, so when I talk about these quarterbacks, I'm going to say number four, but when you talk about these quarterbacks, we know Matt Ryan stuck in there for two more years, right? Yes. So, you remember Packer fans, they trade up to take Jordan Love 
Do you remember remember how upset they were the fact he's not going to play over the three four years? Yeah. So if you're the Falcons with a laundry list of needs, why are you taking a quarterback where he's not going to see the field for two more seasons? Well, because I don't think that Matt Ryan is necessarily the best option for two more years. To be honest with you, man, I think that they're headed for a, I think they're headed for a rebuild, and I, that's why I think they're going to cut ties. Like maybe I mean I'm sure his I don't have the exact number in front of me. I'm sure his contract is massive, and it's not like they're going to trade him. Uh, but I can see this shaking out very similar to. Um, now I'm not, I'm not saying that Atlanta's going to go win the Super Bowl as soon as Kansas City did, but in a way that maybe Matt Ryan is kind of taking on that veteran leader role, and um, plus I think that this year's quarterbacks class is probably better than next year's quarterbacks class, and so you take one now, you can get you can mold him. Uh, I think Fields is the more ready to go option as opposed to Trey Lance, and that's why I think that they take a quarterback here. So my point was, if Packer fans threw a fit about getting a quarterback who's a former MVP, uh, a quarterback to participate in a former MVP for three years when you have other needs, does it make sense to do it at four? Well, because I think, no, for me, it's the best defensive player on the board, and it's Patrick Sertina of Alabama. I know oh, it's weird. I know oh. it's weird. I know it's weird, right? But look, Atlanta has so many other needs outside of quarterback. You can still get like a Kyle Trask or someone else in the second round. And I'm sick for a year or two and yeah. see what you get. Like, I'm sorry. Quarterback's not the big need for Atlanta. It's probably a couple of offensive line spots. You still need a running back. It's a trade-down spot, honestly. And there's so many holes on defense you need to fix. Look, I get it. This quarterback class is great. But you still have guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And the division that, I'm sorry, a couple – like, the Warren's going to give up that spot in a year or two for number yeah. two. Yeah. Tom, Tom Brady's not going to play forever. All right? You still have a former MVP at quarterback. You still have a Hall of Fame – receiver, another really good, probably number one receiver, Calvin Ridley. If you can retool that defense around, because look, they, they blew a couple late leads last year, right? We saw two years ago, they started off like one and seven, they still finished about 500. They blew some late leads, had to get a coaching staff change. I think Matt Ryan has still, in that core, that little group, if they can get the right coaching staff in and kind of get the confidence back up, they're a team that if you add some pieces around them quick, it's still... You know, a team that could go 500 maybe this year, potentially, as I see they're getting my teeth worse, is like 6 and 10, I feel. But listen, you're not going to move up. You're not going to pay a guy 30 mil. You're not going to pay a former MVP 30 mil to sit on the bench. I'm sorry. You're not going to do that if you're a decent organization. Yeah. So for me, it's not a quarterback yet. I get it. This quarterback class is great, but also this could be a trade on spot. I have a look good situation for Steam to jump up. But you got to go best available player. And for me, you need a big, you need a big game breaker on defense, and I think Sertain's probably your best bet. There's a couple ways they can go with this, I feel, but I think right now Atlanta, you got to add more to what you have around you. You can worry about quarterback and stuff when the, when you actually need that situation to happen. I think it'll be a waste to pick at four, have a quarterback sit for two years. I think if we're talking the twenties, okay, I see why. But for top five to have a guy that's going to sit for two years, being a former MVP, he's good enough. I know he's good enough. But what's the point in it? Yeah. He's going to sit for two years. He's top use the top five pick and a player that's not going to see the field for two years. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. Well, I don't buy that Falcons taking a quarterback in top five this year. I don't buy it. So, pick number five, Cincinnati. Who do you got? Panay Sewell. I got the same Offense thing. attack, Oregon. Protect the quarterback. Protect the quarterback. Protect the quarterback. I also have messed around. It's either him or Rayshon Slater at this point. I, yes. mean, I feel... I feel it's going to be an offensive line, although I could see Atlanta taking Sewell, too, or Slater. But pick number six to Philly. Jamar Chase, wide receiver LSU. Um, by all indications, now that Carson Wentz is gone, they want Jalen Hurts to be the guy. and uh, So I have them taking the best available playmaker, which is Jamar Chase. I got the same thing, too. Uh, wide receiver's been a need of Philly the past two or three years now. They passed up on Justin Jefferson for Jalen Rieger. But hey, guess what it is? Pick number seven. I feel I feel we're gonna disagree on this one. We might. What do you got at seven? I have Jalen Waddle, wide receiver at Alabama. Alright. Just because they they're um Jones is gone. Amendola is even if he comes back, it'll be for a year. Uh Galladay is gonna get tagged and if they're not good, he's not gonna wanna come back. So you're going to go out and need to get a stud. And I think Waddle is the better option than Smith because of his physical, well, his physical build, not necessarily his physicality. He's still more of a finesse guy. But 
he's bigger than, than Smith, and I feel like he can handle the grind, uh, the physical toll that the NFL is going to take on him in a 16-game season. I think he's worthy of a top-ten pick. So for me at seven, the Detroit Lions select Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Big 6'6", 265 Ramo, who in a 3-4 could be an outside linebacker, and a 4-3 could be a Dion. He's a guy I feel you could play similar to like a Khalil Mack or even Clowney, where you could put him in different spots in the field and find a way to be successful. Let me ask you this honest question. When's the last time you've seen the Lions actually have a very, very skilled defensive end slash outside linebacker? I don't know. I've only been alive 19 years. <laughs> I very rarely do they have one of those. I think Ziggy Ansah for a little bit, uh, but he didn't pan out. So, For me, I see Rousseau. I see, the, like I mentioned, like the same kind of mold. Like You could do similarly, similarly to like a Khalil Mack. Or David McClowney. I'm not saying he's those kind. He's not. I'm not saying right. he's the kind of player. I'm saying he has that same kind of mold to yes. him. Which for this Lions defense, they need just about everything, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think this is honestly the best pass rusher in the class. And I feel seven. Honestly, I feel. I feel seven's where his range to get picked is, uh, starts. And I feel look, the Lions need a lot of things. Pass rush is big. Obviously, probably a quarter is probably not going to stay. Trey Flowers, we'll see if he sticks around, even survives his round of cuts. Yeah. Obviously, still have Julian O'Quara, but I think there's all things you could do with Rousseau. I think Aaron Glenn could smile and just say, okay, let's do this, 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 and this, and this. There's a lot of different ways you can use him. So for me, it's Gregory Rousseau. Watch the tape. Kid's an animal. Uh, pick number eight. So for you, it'd be Carolina. For me, it'd be the Dolphins. Quarterback, Trey Lance. And very similar to what you had to say about Zach Wilson. You can sit him, you can let him develop, um, and this is another kid with a high ceiling if he gets in the right in the right fit. So, yep, give me the kid from North Dakota State. So for me, through the Carolina Panthers, the Miami Dolphins select Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama. Give two a weapon he's comfortable with. Give the rating Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's got to bulk up a little bit. I love to see him about 175 at some point. Yeah, maybe buck 80, probably the ceiling he get, but. Just an explosive guy. So that's where I take Miami. Number nine, the Denver Broncos. But first off, you mentioned that D- Devontae Smith's like weight, and that's kind of get off on his hands. But can you imagine that? I mean, I think I'm about 5'11, 6 foot, and I know I weigh more than Devontae Smith. So can you imagine just seeing him in passing and being mm-hmm. like, that's the Heisman Trophy winner? <laughs> I'm bigger than he is. That's crazy to me. I don't know why it's so crazy, but it is. Uh, let me, my phone wants to sleep here. Okay, so number nine, I have Denver taking Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech. Defense, they need defense. Um, you know, their GM spoke the other day and said that they're still committed to Drew Locke. Plus, you know, the quarter, the run on quarterbacks has already happened, so I don't foresee them going there. And offensively, I think they're all right uh, wide receiver-wise, and I think they still have Phillip Lindsay, so they're um, in a good spot. Uh, another pick I could see them making is uh, Slater from Northwestern. but and That is my pick, exactly, for the reasons I said in the Mackey 1.0. Uh, just slow by the offensive line. Uh, Drew Locks, another year, still got Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. You got a bunch of young wideouts that would be in the year two. You have Cortland Sutton back, you have Noah Fant back. I get it, people are high in KC, and people think the Chargers be number two, but. Don't be surprised if if Denver is healthy all season long. They're about a team that's eight and eight, nine and seven, and flirting with that seven spot. Mm-hmm. If they can do things right in the off season, that's my take on Denver. But uh, number ten, Ameri- Amer- not America's team anymore. The Dallas no. Cowboys. Who do you got? I have Patrick Sertan going here, run on cornerback. Cornerbacks, excuse me. When's the last time two cornerbacks went back to back in the top ten? Uh, Sertan, the, the the answer to the Cowboys' problems. They need defensive back help pretty bad. And uh, they get it here in the form of Sertan. Now, I know you had him going a lot higher. Yeah. So this is a steal for Dallas. Yeah. Get him a 10. Yeah, for me, Dallas just needs help on defensive line and secondary. Linebacking core, I think, is fine. I believe Austin back if I wouldn't hurt. Uh, I got Caleb Farley out of Virginia, uh, out of Virginia here. It's Virginia Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech Thank is what you. it said here. Thank you. It's Monday, folks. My brain's still trying to get going here. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, Dallas just needs help on defense so bad. I argue offensive line, but I think with Slater and Swell off the board, I think Cosme or Southern Tackle will be a reach here. <sighs> Excuse me. 
Uh, yeah, I think any other offensive lineman would be a reach at this point. And I think Fairley is probably the best defense player on the board. You could argue Micah Parsons, but when you're talking talents like that, I think the end of the day it comes down to need. Secondary is a big need. You get him and Trayvon Diggs opposite each other. I think it would be real fun defense to watch. Uh, so, yeah, that's our uh, mock draft version 2.0. Yes, sir. A little surprise to my picks here, huh? Yeah, yeah. I You took that a little bit of a different direction than I thought you were going to go. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's why we're doing this. So... All right, so you ready for the real fun? I am. You sure? Yep. Positive. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for my favorite segment of the show. It's Ken. Christian. Hey! So, for my mentions current, so we both talked about the NCAA tournament, right? Yep. Let's flash back here to my senior year of high school. I just damn myself so bad. Holy smokes. The 2013 NCAA tournament. Christian, you nervous here? You ready? No, I'm not nervous. I was just thinking that you were senior in high school and I was a sixth grader. <laughs> Moment of silence for my dignity. All right, we're good. So, question number one. Louisville came in that tournament as a one seed, right? Number one overall seed. Yes. Michigan and Syracuse were four seeds. What seed was Wichita State? They were nine. That's your final answer? Yes. For sure. Oh, yeah. Correct. Question number two. The Wheat Shockers, which thought did a great run. One of their players is still in the NBA, an NBA champion. Who's that player? Fred Van Vliet. Correct. Oh, dude, don't stop playing with Question me. number three. Name Michigan's starting lineup. The, the starting five? The starting five. Okay, so it was Trey Burke. Correct. Stauskas. Correct. Hardaway Jr. Correct. Glenn Robinson. Correct. And my boy! Mitch McGarry. Correct. Three for three. Ready for the bonus question. Oh, yeah. The Wheat Chalkers have one famous alum who was a, who was a professional wrestler at both WCW and WWE. Oh, who was that? Uh, oh, he's on part of my take. Um, uh, shoot, who was it? Uh, Roman Reigns. Is that your final yes. answer? Incorrect. Okay, who was it? Well, it's the big show. Big show. Yes, 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 yes. It's a big show. So, hey, you went for three for three in the regular round. Yep. Sure. Got you in the bonus round, though. So, hey, not bad. Hey, so how many weeks in a row is that me going three for three? That's two. Yep. Two weeks. Bonus round, though, I'm catching you on that. Yeah, that's true. All right, so, are we ready for the question of the week? Yes. Question of the week. What's your favorite sports movie? Now, I think you and I are going to have the same answer for this one. Okay. So, I'm going to veer off. I'll let you talk about it. And I'll talk about a movie that I've seen that I think needs more attention. And that's The Way Back. It's the basketball movie with Ben Affleck, where Ben Affleck is a alcoholic, and he's a former basketball player. And then he gets the job offering at his, his old high school. Have you seen it? I have not, actually. Okay, well, then I won't spoil it for you. But it's basically just this coming of age with Ben Affleck. And on the surface, it seems very cliche. But it hits on issues that not a lot of sports movies have ventured into. And it's, you know, you see it sometimes with these professional athletes, you know, in real life with alcoholism, uh, mental illness... Depression, all these things are touched on, um, and it's very bold, and it doesn't... I don't want to get too too in-depth with it here, because I want you to watch it, but it's just real. It's a real basketball movie, and it's not just about basketball, it's about people. And as someone who enjoys interacting with people, and, you know, I recharge around people... Uh, it's it's interesting to see how they attack that, you know, with being living alone and you know single parenthood and all that all these different themes that are touched on within the scope of basketball and it all ties back to basketball. So it's a super cool movie, um, and I think it's one that deserves a little more attention. But I'm uh, I'm anxious to hear your take, and we can talk a little bit about about your movie because I'm almost a hundred percent sure I know what it is. So like you, I think we have a basic we have one that. We would go to agree with, but one like you mentioned the way back, I got another one to talk about. For me, it's Miracle. Yes, yes, absolute that's the classic, one. absolute that's classic. The, one. the biggest reason I love Aerosmith's Dream On so much. 
like it meant uh, just a great story that's just true and just like it really really told a story about a bunch of college kids from like Minnesota and Boston, Massachusetts coming yep. together to beat uh, to beat a group of professionals who had dominated the hockey world for twenty about twenty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a resistance of a Soviet team that beat the NHL All Stars badly right about two months before the Americans upset them. Like, it was just an incredible story, great motivational story too. But also one movie I watched recently. I'll, like you mentioned, you mentioned the way back doesn't get enough attention. The movie Greater should get a hell of a lot more attention. Have you watched that one? I have not. So it tells the story of Brandon Burlesworth, who was a, a lineman, an offensive lineman, dominant high school offensive lineman in the state of Arkansas, was probably was really about 330 pounds by the time he walked on at Arkansas, got the weight off and helped the help assistant coaches. Um, okay, I'm just going to explain the movie, but it kind of gives away. The ending is given away in the beginning of the movie, so I'm okay breaking this down for you. But he goes to Arkansas, walks on. Gets a scholarship after his first semester. Winds up being an All-American. Winds up being a team captain who leads Arkansas to almost a magical run to a national championship his senior year in 1998. But after that Tennessee game happened and whatnot. In, I believe it was 19, 19, 1999 draft. He was taken third round by the Indianapolis Colts. As, and he was a big cultural phenomenon with his signature glasses. Uh-huh. And his third round pick. Shortly after that, before minicamp started, I believe it was Jim Ursay told him that it, it was Ursay or Bill Pulling, the GM, Flau told him, you will be starting. You'll be starting a guard for us. So this dude was destined and set to play opposite of Jeff Saturday, to play next to Jeff Saturday and Sundays to Black Peyton Manning. Unfortunately, he was on he was at camp at Arkansas. He promised his mom he'd take him to church on Sunday, and he died in a car crash on his way back up. So yeah, it's a death. It's a tearjerker. I got I got emotional watching that movie, and I don't get emotional very often watching movies. But that's just a really good story, really good motivational story. It drips your heart out at the end, but really does a good job of dealing with grief too. But if you get a chance, to watch Greater on Netflix. It's just it's awesome. The way they tell that story, it's just Baron Brosworth's a guy I don't think people talk about enough about his impact he had on the game of college football. Yeah, I oh, didn't even know the name, to be honest with you. Look it up. Watch the movie. It's great. It's an awesome watch. Uh, it does... I'm not going to make it to what I was going to say, but... Yeah, definitely definitely underrated sports movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad we touched on underrated sports movies. I feel like that's a... Yeah. That's a topic that... You know, because everybody's seen the big ones. You know, you talk about Remember the Titans. Um, you know, just... You go down the line with all those football yeah. movies, radio, like all those. And it's... It's good to sit back and think about because I thought personally that the the, the way back because you know it stars Ben Affleck. I mean, I figured it would be yeah. crazy, uh, but after watching it, I was kind of blown away just by how real it is. I will say though, it did get panned because it has some Christian views to it, but it's a story. It's a story that's based off Arkansas. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah, it's true. But hey, you know what? It's still a great watch on Netflix. I highly recommend it. It's a great watch, even if you're not much of a sports fan. I'd still recommend watching it because. It's just a good motivational story, just because of what Burlesworth's life was like before he got to Arkansas, and what happened, how he was able to take, really be the face of that program, his mm-hmm. offensive lineman was just cool. incredible. But, wrap it up, got anything else you want to talk about, Christian? No, sir. All right, so, for Christian Boer, until next time, I'm Mitch Fosford. Keep your stick with us.